0: Welcome to Disrupt Equities Apartment Investing Podcast. This podcast will offer weekly episodes equipping passive and active investors alike with the tools, knowledge, and confidence to build wealth through one of the most powerful wealth creation vehicles out there, apartments. Let's get into today's episode.
1: What are we doing today? Same thing we do every night, Ben. Every night? Every night. Try to take over the multifamily world. I thought we were doing money Mondays. We are doing multi We are doing Money Mondays. It's one <laughs> step of that that uh, that venture That that ambitious. Planet. And when do we do Money Mondays? Every Monday, 330 Central. Welcome everybody. Yeah, you your host Ferris and this guy over here, Ben. And we our Money Monday. As we do this every Monday at 3.30 Central. We talk about a bunch of different ooh, ooh. topics, fun stuff, boring stuff, and everything in between. But most of our stuff is fun stuff. We, yeah. we try Hopefully to make it fun, it fun right? Yeah, it My is. parts are probably more fun than what Ben talks about, but that's just by nature. Ooh. But today, what are we talking about, Ben? Ooh, ooh. So we're talking about
0: underwriting multifamily deals as a passive investor, right? So we and a lot of shows. We kind of talk about operators and syndicators and people that are putting the deals together. But we didn't want to neglect our friends that are just want to be passive investors, mm-hmm. right? And there's a lot of them out there. They don't want to do what what I want to do, which is be more active and lose my hair and have my blood pressure go up. They just want to put their money to work into great investment products, right? Yeah. And so, you know, we're going to kind of, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit and kind of say, these are the things that somebody should be looking for, right? Not necessarily red flags, but, you know, we're also LPs on a lot of, pe- on a lot of people's deals. So you have to understand that at the end of the day, you know, we're looking at it through both lenses, right? And what do we look at knowing what we know as active investors, um, you know, as far as things that I want to see in a deal offering, right? So, we're going to get right into it right now. All right. So, there's a couple things. We'll take a step back for those that don't know what you to expect, right? You're going to have four documents that you typically have to review and then sign as part of being a passive investor, right? And I'm not gonna go through all these because we've talked about them on the other show, right? PPM, there's a subscription agreement, there's an operating agreement, and there's typically an investor questionnaire, or there's some kind of accreditation verification that you have to go through to determine if you're an accredited investor,
1: right? I knew you knew something about real estate. I don't know. You got, man, you got, them, right. Know. You got them right. You got them so right. So those he didn't the four
0: it. things. So you got to, you got to fill As a passive up. investor,
1: right, though. As those, a passive investor. That's all we
0: ask from our passive investors, right? Yes. Hopefully, they've reviewed the deal, too, right? Yeah. Which is what we're going to talk about today. Um, some people don't. Right? They just all kinda right, go yeah, like yeah, hey, they yeah, like I'm they like, like, like us, they you know, or they like the deal or they like the area and they just say, Hey, I'm gonna go ahead and invest in this, right? So, you know, but those are typically the four legal documents that we have to have back from you that we will then in turn countersign, and then you wire in your money and boom, really, that's all you gotta do, you know, as a passive investor. So it's pretty it's it's a pretty sweet hard deal and you get some outweighted returns in and in, in, in return of that, right? So Really what we wanted to kind of focus on today was when you're reviewing those documents or when you're reviewing the deck that the, the, a syndicator puts out there, what are some things that you should be on the lookout for, right? So one thing is, is how does the money, is it distributed, right? You know, is there a preferred return? Is there a waterfall, right? You need to understand you got a dollar going in to the deal, and then how is that dollar distributed out amongst the you know the different classes of shares, right? Yeah. Or you know, does it all go to the passive investor? Is there a waterfall? Is there a preferred return, right? And a preferred return for people that don't know what I'm talking about is typically a percentage of the amount that's raised, right? So let's just take real, real simplistic round numbers. If we raise a million bucks and I'm giving people an 8% preferred return, I'm giving them $80,000 right off the top um, per year, yep. right? And then anything above, say we make $100,000, you got that $20,000 delta right there, right? Because the first 80 goes to the investors, right? We're then going to split that, right? Typically, from our perspective, it's anywhere from 70, 30 to 75, 25. Sometimes it's 80, 20. So of that 20,000. So you can kind of get a feel for how the dollars are going to flow in and then out of the, the LLC. Right. And understanding that's probably one of the most important things. Right. I think in a lot of ways, people don't understand some of these structures are fairly complex, and then some of them are very, very easy. Right. But I wouldn't say that the complex ones are bad. You just need to understand, and you're allowed as the passive investor to ask those questions. So don't feel shy about, hey, can you just walk me through how this works? Um, And I think you're completely entitled to do that. Right. Um, You know, understanding return on your capital versus return of your capital. Right? There's two different things that are happening, right? Return on your capital, right, is you're making money on your money, right? Return of your capital is you're returning the money that you invested, right? And there's, yeah, there's and different and times it, of different things that and
1: happen. And read the PPM and the operating agreement carefully, right, because yeah. they really, they are kind of subtle terminologies, but it's really important to understand the difference. So, what are you talking about, subtle? Yeah! I was, as I said I was just, waiting for you to say it, it's been right? subtle because well, I was talking and then I realized I missed the joke after the fact so I was just gonna let it <laughs> slide very subtly but oh, clearly you didn't let me uh, oh, oh, do that. That
0: ship has sailed, bro. We gotta yeah. keep moving forward.
1: But really quick, when we were talking about uh, the previous one, right, about you know, deep diving on the, the how the money's being distributed. Yep. And this one. All of that is in the PPM and the operating agreement. Yes, it is. Right? Typically, most sponsors will kind of show what that waterfall looks like, right? The kind of the key things. But again, what you sign is really the binding piece. So make sure you understand that.
0: And they'll typically say, okay, you know, when you have a sale, right, it goes to paying off the closing costs and all the loans. Then it's... Return of people's capital, and then it's up uh, the preferred return, and any catch up that you have there, then there's a split. they literally, they should, any good SEC attorney should line that out within the PPM docs. And you, but if you don't see that or don't understand that, once again, folks, raise your hand, ask the questions. I see too many people invest in these deals and they don't ask anything, right? Unless you really, really know the sponsor and really, really understand how these things can be structured, I get it. But for po- people that are just start kind of starting off ask the questions. That's the most important thing, right? Okay. And so once again, return on your capital is you're making money on your money, right? Return of capital might be a refinance, right? So we refinance, right? We raised the million bucks and maybe we pulled out 500K at a refi. That 500K, at least the way that we structure it, other people structure it differently. Once again, read those documents. That 500,000 will be return of your capital, right? So you need to understand that and what does that mean, right? Because now you've got 500000 and then you're paying the 8% preferred return on the $500,000, no longer on the million, yep. right? So you need to understand that. I say the biggest thing that I look at, right, when it comes to financials and, and, and really the returns is reversion cap rate that they're going to use, the vacancy that they're underwriting to, and
1: ultimately the rent escalators. Yeah, I think those know? are the... Those are three things that you need to understand. Plus the rents, right? What rents are they trying to get and do you agree with that, right? Ask for the market rents, understand what the other properties are. And honestly, as a passive investor, I'm not kidding you not, I would literally call some of the properties around there just to understand, do I buy into that vision, right? I think that's a huge part of it. It takes a couple seconds. All
0: right. So I'm going to, I know some of the people might be new that are turning into our show. We've talked about these concepts in the past, but I'm going to go over them real, really quickly, right? Reversion cap rate is the cap rate that you think that you can sell the property at in the future, right? It's typically a real thumb in the air, there's not really a lot of math to it, the, the the only real rule of thumb is that you should try to be conservative on it, right? So if you bought it at a 4.5 cap, you should underwrite it to selling it at a 5.5. It's typically anywhere from 10 to 20 basis points per year that you hold the deal, right? But what has happened in the last five years is that cap rates have actually gone down 10 or 20% or maybe even more in some cases per year. So you know, that's the reversion cap right? vacancy. Everybody kind of knows that how many units are physically going to be occupied or not. Um, yeah, there's also economic vacancy, right? So that's your loss, the lease, that's your bad debt, that's your delinquency, that's your concessions, right? That's, you know, you've got market rent, but maybe your market rent's 2000 bucks, but you're only collecting 1500 because you have a $500 a month concession. Guess what? That $500 is your economic vacancy, right? And then rent escalators, so if you if you've called the property and you believe that the comps that they're they're basing their underwriting on is true, right, then they're gonna start stepping into what is your two's rents gonna be. Mm-hmm. And some people we've seen those pop 20%. You know, and sometimes I've seen people pop rents five to 10% every year throughout the whole which period. Which is kind of nuts. Which is in- insane, but people do it, and unless you're asking the questions, you're not gonna know if people are being conservative or not, right? Typically the rule of thumb outside of the last six months where we've seen some tremendous rent growth is anywhere from two to 4%, depending on the submarket and what you're gonna be doing to the property, right? That's typically years two through whatever the whole period yeah. is, right? So that's a rent escalators. And how does that impact on the returns. They impact tremendously, right? If you're buying that four and a half cap you know deal and then they say that they're gonna sell it at a three and a half cap and then on top of that, they're gonna say they only have 2% vacancy and then on top of that they're gonna say they're popping rents 10% across the board every single year, guess what? The most dog deal out there is gonna look well, like a A, a lot you know, of small changes
1: can lead to a really Shoot. big like impact. An, and yes,
0: that's an extreme extreme example but these things compound on each other too, folks. So you need to ask those questions when you're looking over the, the deck, right? Or when somebody's presenting you with a deal. Those are probably the three things that can really move a, the needle one way or the other. Um, how is the debt structured, right? You know, who's the lender? What's the interest rate? Is there preferred equity on the deal or not, right? And understanding where you sit in the capital stack, right? Typically for people, so just so they understand, you got senior debt, which is the lender, then if you do have PREF equity, your PREF equity is right below that, right? It's called preferred equity for a reason because it's higher in the capital stack. Therefore, it's less, or excuse me, it's more safe. And then below that is common equity, right? And you need to understand who gets paid when, you know, who gets paid back first, and ultimately understanding the, the risks in the capital stack too, yeah. right? Um, understanding your voting rights. Sometimes there's there's PPMs out there where you get really no voting rights. Yeah, you know? and, uh,
1: and, and you know, exactly. Understand the cases where you as an investor need to help make a decision, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to sell the property, do you get a vote? Maybe not. If yeah. they want to buy another property, do you get that right or not, right? It talks yeah. about a lot of those nuances because again, you know, you're ultimately trying to find something that you're comfortable with, right? Both yeah. in terms of investment, in terms of returns, and in terms of operator. Yeah. Yeah. And some people love their operators and they trust the operator to make the best decision, right? Ultimately, yeah. you probably want to invest with something like that versus you don't I'm trust always, your operator and you're having to look over their shoulder, that's probably not a good you're spot You're betting to be on the jockey, to. not the horse, folks, yeah. right? You know, at
0: the end of the day, the operator, when, when I'm looking at a deal to potentially, you know, invest in, it's always the operator, then it's the sub-market, then it's the deal, right? Because those two top things can really turn a bad deal good or a good deal
1: bad, right? Question though, have you ever actually been a jockey on a horse?
0: I've on a horse.
1: No, but no? I've ridden a horse. You've ridden a horse? I have ridden a horse. Uh, we rode horses a few weeks ago. I know you. I know we have. But, you know, but we got to go ride a horse on a race now. So uh, that might be- I
0: don't know. If I'm, I'm not really quite there, okay. my friend. You know. But all right, back to what we're talking about, which is passive investing.
1: But before we continue, Mo- uh, Money Mondays. is do this every Monday, three thirty Central. If you have comments, questions, thoughts, ideas, topics, whatever, please leave a comment. Let us know. We want it to be right? But. If not, we'll continue. Keep continuing. So
0: let's move forward then. All right. Sounds like we don't have any questions. They're just absorbing all of this, and I love it. All right. So you need to understand those voting rights, right? Do you have, you know, do you have to vote on a sale or a refinance, right? Can you replace the manager if you need to, right? What is that, and that should all once again be lined out in the PPM and the operating agreement, right? Skin in the game, right? Do they have it, and if so, how much? Yep. Right? So when I say skin in the game, that means how much are the active investors? How many are the GPs investing in the deal? Right? Because remember, the GPs are the ones putting the deal together. And so are they putting any money in? Or are if they are, how much? I think that's a valid question. In fact, one that we get on every single one of our deals. So and in, in, instead of continuing to answer that question, we just put it straight up in the investor deck as to uh, about how much we're going to invest. Right? You know, We just answer in the FAQs. Um, and then I think, and we touched on this a little bit, does it include a preferred return or not? There's deals that can be structured a thousand different ways, folks, right? It's a transaction. It's a negotiation, right? What are your investors pr- uh, willing to take and, and what are the the active investors going out and, and, and putting deals together? What are they willing to provide, right? It's a transactional thing. And so we've seen everything from an 80-20 with no preferred return to a 50-50 with a preferred return, you know, and anything in between, right? Preferred return, once again, is it's a percentage that you're making on the money that's invested in the deal. Right, we talked about an example of that earlier. So those are some things, major things that we look at yeah. when we're looking to invest into deals. What the, what what's important for us, and what actually is going to move the needle in terms of questions? We get all kinds of crazy questions on our deals, and that's fine. We encourage people to ask questions, but we really feel like this stuff that we're going over today is really the meat of what's important for somebody to think about. Right, you know, and especially as as you invest in the same operators over and over, you'll start realizing how they do it, how they structure it, you know, what types of returns they're providing and what, how they're structuring yeah, it ultimately you get to the point where you trust them, but also yeah.
1: just, you should always skim the PPM or ask them what's different, right? Yeah. Operator, we've iterated, our model has changed over the years, right? From, yeah. we used to not do a PREF, but now we do a PREF, yep. right? There's, there's other things to think about. Not all deals are the same. And some deals, some structures are better suited than others. And so, absolutely. always understand what the nuances are, right? But again, like Ben said, you're betting on the, jo- the, the jockey, not the horse.
0: Absolutely,
1: absolutely. So I'm gonna pause there. Was there any questions that came in? We gotta just make sure. So we got one question that came oh, in. Is oh. uh, do you, so Mr. Shane, uh, do you have some rules of thumb for underwritten reserves or acquisition costs? Great question. Yep. Right, two things. Rules of thumb for reserves. Most deals, the lender is going to require that, right? But what you want to make sure as a passive investor, you want to look at the underwriting and make sure that the operator is actually whatever he's presenting you know, returns to investors, that's net of reserves, yeah. right? Not that, hey, you know, the lender's gonna require this, we're gonna get cash flow into that bucket, and now we can't give it to investors, right? You wanna yeah. make sure, and the rule of thumb there is usually 200 to 350 on the high end, right, per unit per year
0: yeah right. and, and that's the replacement that's the, reserves.
1: That's the replacement reserves
0: now no, we also have other reserves too right that yeah you, uh, so you want to
1: make sure that you're, that uh, you're yeah i you're guess a good point so, so a couple other things right so you want to i mean we've learned we've done enough deals that Ultimately, I think Ben and I are at the point where we like to have reserves, right? Having reserves, we'd rather promise a little bit lower return and have a much safer investment for every every investor, right? And so ultimately, reserves, if you were to peg a number, I mean, it's probably good to have, you know, 2K a unit in reserves just sitting on the sideline, right? Somewhere in that range. You know what I mean? Just a rainy day fund, something blows up, something goes wrong. Maybe you have a transformer that messes up at our property. Ask us how we know we're giggling because we had that happen today. Literally yet, today. It's 50 mm. to $70,000 expense yep. out of the pool. That's where the rainy day fund is invaluable. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so it's good to have that, and make sure that's modeled in. And then, you know, I think the other piece of this, just acquisition costs, typically that's very lender specific and other things, but you're typically looking at 2% acquisition costs independent of operator fees and other things too. Yeah, but you know, got, you're in that two to 3% probably all you've in.
0: Got, you've got fees, right? And then you've got closing costs, right? Closing costs typically on an, on an acquisition is probably gonna be, you know, call it two to three, right? And then there's gonna typically, there potentially could be, not everybody charges them an acquisition fee, right? And that's typically anywhere from one to three. Once again, that should be outlined in your PPM. Any fees that anybody's gonna take should be outlined and you should see it in the investor deck as well, which is by, by uh, you know, just so everybody knows, the investor deck is always in the PPM as well. So maybe you've missed the webinar, you don't know where any of this stuff is, the investor deck is embedded within the PPM because they have to show what the actual business plan is as part of that. Yeah. So uh, great question. You know, I think that that shows, is somebody being conservative or, you know, mitigating risk? Versus somebody that's really coming in, it's real tight, there's, a lot, there's very little reserves, and if anything goes wrong, they might come back to you for a cash call. Another question that, or another thing that you should be re- reviewing when you're a part of your PPM too is, is the cash call mandatory you know, or is it voluntary? And if so, what happens to my shares if I don't participate, right? And then for anybody that doesn't know what a cash call is, sometimes things happen, transformers blow. Right? You know, luckily we have plenty of reserves on our deals, so it's not going to turn into a cash call situation. But somebody that doesn't, guess what? Either they're stroking that check as an active investor or they're coming back to their investors to say, hey, we got to transfer that blue. I don't have the 50K to spot. You know, who wants to pony it up? Yeah. And uh, no better way to piss people off All <laughs> than right. to start a week off on a cash call.
1: So let's keep going. So Shane also asked, do most sponsors you see provide the underwriting model or Excel sheet for review? I'll answer this one. By default, I think most don't, and the reason really is that it's usually too complicated for most investors to understand. Yeah. Right, if an investor that does not understand the nuances will make, you know, bad assumptions and probably misunderstand it. That said, any sponsor that is transparent and candid, they'll share it out. Yeah, something. Right, big someone big. asks for it, we'll share it here it is. Let's go talk through it. Right. Yeah. Typically, you want to get on a call and try to walk through it with somebody. Right, but that's definitely, I think. Yeah, because everybody's I mean, got know, different sheets. I think yeah. you bring up
0: a good point, right? You know, I mean, our sheet is, is is heavily customized, and it might be completely different from the next guy or gal's sheet, too. Yeah. So you have to understand how the numbers flow, right? And so, but yeah, if anybody ever asks, we typically will provide that. That's not a problem. But it's not something that you just broadly give to everybody, uh, mainly because, you know, at the end of the day, the sheet's copyrighted and, yeah. you know not ours to give around.
1: Let's keep going. So uh, a person on LinkedIn says, uh, what is a typical asset management fee for value add deals? I'll say, you know, asset management, the industry norm is one and a half to two and a half percent. That's what you typically see on asset management. Now that said, the value add piece is typically handled as a different fee, right? A lot Mm -hmm. of times you see a construction management fee, which is, hey, we're doing $2 million of construction, and you know, the operator will take a percent of that, right? Anywhere from you know three percent ish. I is think is kind of three I've seen to it of 10. three to ten. I mean, yeah. it just kind of depends on a lot of things, um, and so that's typically how that value add component does. Yep. But whether it's a brand new asset or a fifty-year-old asset or a hundred-year-old asset, the asset management fee is really more so covering, you know, supervising the the property yep. management company, dealing with the CPA and getting K ones, and just kind of making sure the business plan gets executed the fee for the actual value add piece is a typical Is a yeah, different you oversimplified
0: the heck out of that thing man yeah <laughs>
1: that's the man <managers>, the just <laughs> part of the business uh Let's keep going. Rasul yeah, asks, easy. how would an investor know if a syndicator is being realistic with their projections or being overly optimistic with their promise in the pitch deck? Is there any recourse for gross overstatements?
0: No, there's no recourse. Obviously, buyer beware, right? You know, I mean, it's it's pretty much lined out in the PPM, all the risks. Look for people that,
1: with track records. And track record doesn't mean just buy. Buy is easy. Buying deals is easy. Look for people that have done full cycle yeah. deals. Where do they actually return on their investors? Both what do they distribute and what do they actually do on the set? So, so. No, I agree.
0: But, I mean, I, once again, buyer beware. It lists all the PPM, has all the risks in there. And ultimately, at the end of the day, folks, what we do has an inherent amount of risk, and you could lose your whole entire investment, right? But that's why it's called LP. You're limited to the investment that you have into it. So, you know, but at the end of the day, right, you have to really verify. Trust, but verify. Um, and I think, you know, people that have maybe a little bit more robust of a track record resume, Um, you know, ultimately ask people in the industry too, right? What do you think about these guys? Are they legit? Are they good guys or good gals? And, you know, have what they said, you know, come to fruition? Because I think at the end of the day, like Ferris had mentioned, you can buy, buy, buy all day long, but that's just just acquisition. So you might be a great acquirer of real estate, but if nothing ever pays out or you don't exit anything for any meaningful return, then it's all just, you know, fluff in the end, right? And we see a lot of that out there in the market.
1: So let's see if you have any more comments, questions, thoughts, ideas. Please go ahead and leave them. We'll answer them live. Uh, we got another one. Oh, oh. Jaron, I apologize for butchering the name. It says... uh, how would you suggest a passive investor verify the track record of their sponsor's deals, returns, et cetera? Um, ask, I mean, ask for it, right? Yeah. Ultimately, you know, it. you could do research, see if they've done those deals, right? And understand, you know, what was their participation in that, right? A lot of these deals these days have a lot <laughs> of people involved, we'll leave it at that, yeah. but understand what they did, right? And, you know, ultimately, were those returns what they expected? And you, I mean, you could ask for an investor referral, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that a lot of people do. We, we're at the point where we've just grown enough that our, our track record speaks for itself, right? But again, we'll give the occasional referral where it makes sense, right? And so you don't yeah. want to be too, as a past investor, you don't want to be too onerous, right? But again, you, I mean, ultimately, you need to invest in people you trust. Yeah, right? if you don't thing. trust them to give you an accurate track record, that's its own problem. No, so I ask mean, we yourself. literally
0: have it on our investor deck, right? You yeah. know, I mean, we just kind of go through our whole track record, which makes it easy because people then don't have to go and you know look it up. But, you know, I mean, anything beyond that, we're always happy to, to provide returns and, and what had happened, right? But I think Ferris had mentioned, right, there's a, there's a point where, you know, people can be asking questions and doing due diligence, you know, as, as part of the raise, and then by the time they finally get comfortable with the deal, it, the thing's already filled up or the, that, that train has left the station. So you have to be careful. You have to balance those things. And I think that's why doing due diligence up front and then being ready for that person or that group's deal when they when they ultimately... Um, put it out there is important. So get ahead of it even as a passive investor. That's the, I always tell people, you're not going to find a bunch of operators and deals and, and and people that you can put money into unless you're out there networking. Even if it's a webinar, right? You got to get out there and you got to understand who's all doing deals out there. Don't just rely on one or two groups because then you might not be diversifying enough. So, boom. So let's see. We got through it. Let's keep going it.
1: then. No other comments, questions? We can keep going.
0: Oh my gosh the multifamily investor network conference. Do you have our big
1: conference for anybody that's anybody in a multifamily, you gotta be there. Multi uh, it's basically coming up February twelfth. Mm -hmm. It's our biggest conference back here in our backyard in Houston. It's a good time to be in Houston, first and foremost, and we have an awesome lineup. No, it's a good time to visit. We try to make this, you know, a good place to visit every year. Stay tuned for what we're going to do in the summer, right? But ultimately, awesome lineup, one of our best lineups I'd say to date. Right, really big variety, Mm -hmm. and you know we're excited. So tickets are going fast, and we are expecting huge turnout, four or five hundred people at this one. So we look forward to seeing it there. So what's that discount code, buddy? Use the code DISRUPT for hundred dollars off. You could try that code on anything. You know, if you're buying a house, you could ask them, hey, do you take a <laughs> discount code disrupt? Or if you're, you're at the grocery store, try it out. Ah, usually, you know, maybe you can find other benefits. I wouldn't bank on that coupon code working M- anywhere F- else, $100 off, coupon code disrupt. So, so we look forward to seeing you guys there before it sells out. Yep, yep,
0: yep. And then we've got MFMCon coming up. But I think Yeah, where are we going, going this tickets, weekend, Ben? Those tickets might have been sold. Oh, oh last call. Yeah, last call. Oh, so we will be in Orlando gosh. this
1: weekend. We are flying out there Friday and coming back Sunday because we're going we'll be participating in MFCon. It's a Ooh. it's a conference that we help host. Hundred dollars off. It should be pretty fun. It's the first MFCOM ever and getting a lot of interest. So yep. we'll kind of look forward to seeing you guys there if you want to come hang out with us. Bring a deal. Ben will underwrite it for you, yeah, and, uh, you know, we'll go from there. It just depends on how good it is, right? You know, so last call, We should right? have a booth. Multifamily the, uh, I'll underwrite your deal booth at one of our conferences and just have uh,
0: MultifamilyCon.com. Stay on target here, man.
1: Coupon called target.
0: Last Call, right? $100 off. This is all affiliated with Multifamily Masters, which is a group that we're proud to be a part of, has a bunch of networking groups throughout the country. This is our big conference that's coming together, and so we're excited to be in Orlando this weekend. If you're in Florida, stop in.
1: Forward to seeing you there.
0: You know, anybody else wants to get a last minute ticket? We'd love to see you then too. All right. Otherwise,
1: that's oh, it, oh, right? Oh,
0: oh, oh, what's coming
1: up next week? Red flags and multifamily real estate offerings. Oh
0: offering. my gosh!
1: So it's gonna be a busy Monday because we're gonna be coming back from Orlando. Uh, it's be we a lot back. Going we'll be back. Like we're we'll back Sunday night. Yeah. Okay. All right. But so. we'll see you guys next Monday. Monday Mondays is every Monday three thirty Central. Ish. Stay tuned. We'll see y'all then. We hope you enjoyed today's episode on Disrupt Equity's Apartment Investing Podcast. We have some really great episodes coming up, so
0: make sure to subscribe to the podcast. For those interested in passively investing in cash-flowing multifamily properties, visit DisruptEquity.com invest. Fill out your information there, and you will get notified when we release our next multifamily passive investment offering.